0: Today on the Everything 80s podcast, Back to the Future, 21 references you probably didn't catch. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s podcast. I'm Jamie, thanks for coming on out. This is the big one, the one I've been waiting for my entire life. Today is July 3rd, 2020. Back to the Future came out 35 years ago today. So I thought it would be fitting to do a whole episode, again, devoted to a lot of the sort of hidden things you maybe didn't catch in this movie. I did a whole movie review a little while back you can go back into the previous episodes if you want to check that out but this won't be as much about covering you know the plot and everything like that but looking at a lot of you know references you may or may not have caught throughout the movie and just you know looking back on what i think is the best movie ever made so you know there are movies with better acting better cinematography better special effects you know there's issues with the concept of time travel in it Uh, The issues with, you know, Marty's parents not recognizing him in the future 1985, all that sort of thing. But whatever. What we're looking at is why this movie really made an impact. And I believe it's because it had all the right elements combined and it came out at the right time. It, the movie combines all these different genres into one film. It's got action-adventure, science fiction, comedy, teen romance, all, all those sort of things. So instead of being this one standalone movie, it combines all these other classic elements. And I think that's what makes so many of these movies from the 80s such iconic movies is because they take all those different genres and put them together. Together. So we'll look at 21 uh, Back to the Future references you may or may not have caught And we'll start by you know how Back to the Future got to the big screen. And I don't need to do a recap of the movie because if you need me to summarize Back to the Future, you're at the wrong podcast. If somehow this movie is brand new to you, you're going to have to stop this show and go watch it around 65 times straight so it becomes part of your psyche and then check back in here. So I'm since you're somewhat of a fan or an avid fan, again, I don't have to go through the plot or what might not be accurate as far as time travel. This is about looking at the real nuts and bolts of the whole thing. And again, those obvious or not obvious uh, references you might not have caught. You know, So I've seen the movie that adequate 65 plus amount of times. And I just noticed some things the last time I watched it that I hadn't seen before. So let's look at a few of some of the numbers surrounding Back to the Future, specifically, you know, since it came out 35 years ago today. So it opened uh, July 3rd and then going into the July 4th weekend in 1985. And again, last summer, if you watch Stranger Things season three, it perfectly tied in the July 4th weekend of 1985. And of course, including Back to the Future, which I thought was just perfect. Uh, The movie was filmed in just 10 weeks. It was the number one movie for all of 1985 among other huge hits like Rambo, Rocky IV, The Color Purple, Cocoon, The Goonies, The Breakfast Club, A View to a Kill, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, like massive movies. It was number one for eleven straight weeks, making 210 million in North America and 380 million worldwide on a budget of only 19 million. Converted for today, that's around 500 million and close to a billion dollars, respectively. The budget was only going to be around 14 million, but um, you'll see why due to a recasting issue, and they added another three million just for that. It was nominated for three Academy Awards. It won four Golden Globes. It was finally dethroned at the box office by National Lampoon's European Vacation. So how different could Back to the Future have been? And, you know, we're looking, uh, so I just made uh, mention of the budget for it. And the one thing that's often overlooked is how late to the production Michael J. Fox joined. He was never... Um, the starting choice. He was always their original choice, but it wasn't going to work out just because of his commitment to family ties and he was pretty busy. So the actor they went with was named Eric Stoltz. You might know him from that as uh, Rocky Denison Mask. He was in The Fly Number Two as well. And the problem is he just didn't fit in. And um, it—I don't know what it is. They—they they, they talk about it was just his comedic timing or he'd uh, think taking things too seriously and basically they almost had the entire movie done apparently 80% of the movie was filmed and again they just figured he wasn't capturing that tone they wanted and he was a great actor but it just came down to that comedic sense and he just didn't have it and then it created again a whole different tone for the movie. They had progressed so far with filming that Tom Wilson, who plays Biff, talks about how they were discussing, you know, the next projects they're going to be working on. And what are you going on to next? That's how far the movie was uh, as far as being done. They then had to make the tough call to fire him from the movie. And then luckily, Michael J. Fox was available. And it's crazy to think how different this movie could have been. Um, And I think it'd be amazing to see if they released this like Eric Stoltz cut, just Just see the change in the dynamic. In this movie, we know like the back of our hands. I'd love to see that. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Apparently, he's still in the movie in a few scenes. The scene of Marty uh, diving to the DeLorean in the mall parking lot is actually thought to be Stoltz. Um, Take a look at the footage, see what you think. Thomas Wilson also mentions that the fist grabbing his collar in the cafe are actually Stoltz's and not Michael J. Fox just because they couldn't redo absolutely everything. So, okay, now we'll look at the 21 things you may or may not have uh, caught in Back to the Future, no particular order. But the first one, number 21, is the Twin Pines Mall, Lone Pine Mall sign. This is one of the most obvious references Uh, And again, if you want to see some of these visually, because a lot of them are visual representations, just go to um, whatever you're listening on, the show notes, there should be a link to the blog that's got all these references in them. So again, one of the most obvious, but some that people, uh, some people just not aware of. Uh, To me, it's the most important Easter egg in the film, and it's one of those pivotal parts of time travel where the past can't change the future. When Marty first meets Doc at the start of the movie, they meet at the Twin Pines Mall, which is actually the Puento Hills Mall in the city of Industry, California. It's named Twin Pines Mall because of the man who owned all the land there, Old Man Peabody, who apparently seems to be named after Mr. Peabody from Peabody and Sherman, the time-traveling duo in Rocky and Bullwinkle. The son's name isn't mentioned, but guess who he's credited as in the movie? You can look it up in the credits. Sherman. So, obviously, uh, influence there. So, Old Man Peabody has a fixation with pine trees, and when Marty escapes from their farm, you see him run over one of the two pines in the front yard of their house, assumingly leaving just one pine tree left. When Marty returns to the future and has to run to the mall to try to save Doc, we see the mall is now called Lone Pine Mall. A simple Easter egg, but an amazing part of the movie. Okay, number twenty, the Atomic Kid. The Atomic Kid was a real movie and it's playing at the Hill Valley Town Theater in 1955 when Marty goes back in time. This is an interesting movie choice to display because of its connection to the back of uh, to Back to the Future science and science fiction movies. The Atomic Kid starred Mickey Rooney as a uranium prospector who has accidentally stumbled upon a nuclear test site. This is kind of like a superhero origin story because he's able to survive the blast of an atomic bomb then inherit strange powers after being irradiated. It's a great choice as a reference for the connection between uranium and plutonium and also the connection to earlier versions of Back to the Future. Before they landed on the DeLorean for the time machine, there was debate over how Marty would be able to travel through time um, and then getting them back to the future. So as far as before the DeLorean, they played around with the idea of using a refrigerator, but they thought the kids might start locking themselves in fridges. And then one of their solutions... Um, after, you know, so they've come up with the DeLorean, and before they come up, came up with the idea of the lightning striking the clock tower, was that to get Marty home, they would need to harness the energy from an atomic bomb testing site. So this is a nice reference that connects much of the story and history of Back to the Future. Okay, number 19. Goldie Wilson. So remember me saying how I just noticed something for the first time when I most recently watched Back to the Future? This is it. So feel free to delete me or block me or whatever because I might seem like an idiot blame it on you know crappier VHS copies of the movie we had to watch growing up but so owning all the blu-rays of these I never noticed that Goldie Wilson had an actual gold tooth And obviously this is where he gets his name from, and basically we have to thank the HD gods for revealing this clarity. It also explains why in 1985 Mayor Goldie Wilson is using the same campaign style as Mayor Red Thomas from 1955. After Marty accidentally slips in 1955 about how Goldie will be mayor, he must have noticed the campaigning of Red Thomas and carried that in his mind to when he would first run for office. Okay, number 18, Doc's shirt. I recently just noticed this, but at the start of the movie, when we first see Doc at Twin Pines Mall, he's wearing a white lab suit, but underneath it is a brown button-up Hawaiian type shirt. It's also the same shirt he's wearing when he and Marty go into the high school in 1955, and he's wearing it again in the new 1985 in the parking lot. So you really stuck with that shirt over the years. Okay, number 17, Ruth's Frock Shop. Some stores in Hill Valley don't seem that visible, but they do carry over between parts one and two. And Back to the Future, part two, we see Lorraine come out of Ruth's frock shop where she has brought, or bought the pink dress that we'll see her wear to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. This is the scene where Biff has just got his car back, and... It always felt to me like it's a part of downtown Hill Valley we hadn't seen before, but Ruth's frock shop is visible in the original Back to the Future behind Marty after he's pulled the newspaper out of the garbage can. Number 16, The Hanging Man. And again, apologies if this is another obvious one, but I wanted to point out a few of the obvious references in case you hadn't caught them. So in the opening scene, within the first few seconds, we get a spoiler alert for how the movie is going to go. As the camera is panning through all the different clocks in Doc's lab, we see one where there is a man hanging off one of the number hands. This is actually actor harold lloyd from the movie safety last this movie is from 1923 but perfectly foreshadows doc hanging from the clock tower when trying to get marty back to 1985. there's no connection between harry lloyd and christopher lloyd who played doc but it's an amazing inclusion in the film. Also, Christopher Lloyd, believe it or not, was not even the original choice to play Doc Brown, which is absurd. Even Thomas Wilson, who plays Biff, was never the original Biff Tannen. The guy, I forget the actor's name now, but <clears throat> it's the guy in his gang who's the skinhead guy. That was going to be the original Biff, but they just didn't think he was physically imposing enough. Okay, number 15, the Edward Van Halen cassette. In the scene where Darth Vader visits George McFly when he's sleeping, we see Marty put in an Edward Van Halen cassette into his Walkman. But why wasn't this just a normal Van Halen album? It turns out that Van Halen wouldn't give any rights to use their music, but Eddie Van Halen would. Since they couldn't use a specific song, Eddie Van Halen admitted in 2012 that he just created a crazy guitar riff noise that would work perfectly for the scene. This makes sense, and I, I, me and I remember friends always trying to figure out what that song was and never being able to find it, that's why. Bonus fact, you would need to see the deleted scenes to catch this one, but the hairdryer, that, so when Marty's dressed as Darth Vader, he's got a hairdryer tucked into his belt, but it looks a little futuristic because it is. It's actually Doc's from 1985. In the deleted scene... We see Doc Brown in 1955 going through the suitcase that Doc Brown in 1985 put in the DeLorean. Remember with the cotton underwear because he's allergic to all synthetics. In the suitcase, we see this hair dryer that Marty will soon use uh, as it just didn't exist in the 50s. So I mentioned about... um, the original Biff Tannen and uh, that actor's name as I just have it here, that was JJ Cohen. And again, they just didn't think he was physically opposing and uh, Wilson was cast to replace him. And also interesting when it comes to Biff Tannen is reportedly that name is a reference to Ned Tannen, who is a studio executive behind some pretty big hits, including Jaws and the Blues Brothers, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Top Gun. He was Uh, involved with American American graffiti, and apparently isn't the nicest person in the world. So Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, who created Back to the Future, um, once had a script meeting with him that didn't go well, and thus the impetus for the Biff Tannen name was created. Uh, Biff Tannen in Back to the Future spells his name T-A-N-N-E-N, and this guy Ned Tannen is T-A-N-E-N. Okay, number 13, the CRM-114. So when Marty is in Doc's garage at the start of the movie and hooking up to the amp, you see a bunch of different dials and gauges. On one of the dials, you see the uh, name CRM-114. This is a nod to the Stanley Kubrick movie, Doctor Strange Glove, and it was a fictional piece of radio equipment on the B-52 bomber. It was called the CRM-114 distributor, and the destruction of it in Dr. Strange Glove prevents the B-52 crew <clears throat> from hearing the re- recall code that would stop them from dropping the hydrogen bombs on the Soviets. So it, this is interesting, too, as the destruction of the CRM-114. Okay, number 12, the meatloaf. Just a small one. Marty gets to eat meatloaf on back-to-back nights, if you think about it, in 1985 and then in 1955. Both dinners are seeming to be some staple of the Baines women's culinary goes to go to. So uh, number 11, the honeymooners screw up. So I love the honeymooners. I've seen every episode. I've seen the lost episodes, the ones from the Dumont network, except one. I remember, and when you know it, it was the one they included in Back to the Future. I've seen it now, but I didn't at the time. The episode they watched in 1955 is the same one they're watching at the dinner table in 1985 when Ralph dresses up as a man from space. In that episode, Ralph is trying to win the $50 first prize for costume contest. This is episode 14 from the only full season of The Honeymooners they did there again like there have been a ton of other episodes and sketches and all that but for their real tv season they only did 39 shows referred to as the classic 39. the problem was this 14th episode aired on new year's eve 1955 so there's no way they could have watched it uh, no on november 5th 1955 and that leads into number 10 incorrect record releases um so at Roy's Records in 1955, we see some albums that seem to have also done some time traveling. The, the This is a list of uh, records that are on the sign outside the store and when they actually came out. The first one's The Cordettes. It wasn't released until 1959. Um, Edie and Dixieland by uh, Edie Gorm came out in 1959. In the Land of the Hi-Fi by Patti Page didn't come out until 1956. Only the re-release of Nat King Cole's Unforgettable would have been out as it was released in 1954. Number nine, the phone book typo. When Marty's in Lou's cafe and trying to call Doc, we see they have spelled his name wrong as they list him as Emmett Brown, E-M-M-E-T Brown, and not E-M-M-E-T-T Brown, which is how it's actually spent. Number eight is Used Cars. And Used Cars was a movie that Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale made in 1980. It starred Kurt Russell, and Steven Spielberg was an executive producer on it. Used Cars was a moderate hit, but there are a few references to it in Back to the Future. When Marty is riding his skateboard behind the Jeep, we can see used cars sign. And the news anchor talking about the plutonium at the start of the movie is actress Deborah Harmon, who appeared in Used Cars. Okay, number seven, when Marty travels back to 1955, the first thing he sees and hits is a scarecrow on the Peabody farm. Seems to be a Wizard of Oz reference to the character of the scarecrow and to give us that understanding. You know, we're not in Kansas anymore in a whole different place. Okay, number six, something you wouldn't be able to see, but it's worth noting. Again, the cast you now know and love is just not the ones that were originally intended. Mentioned about Michael J. Fox and Thomas Wilson and everything. But Melora Hardin, A.K.A. Jan Levinson Gould from The Office, was originally cast as Jennifer and had filmed the majority of the movie as well. So it turns out she's kind of tall, and when Michael J. Fox was cast, there was a real height discrepancy, as Fox is only five foot four inches tall. Melora Hardin is about almost five foot seven, which worked fine with Eric Stoltz, but they had to recast a shorter actress and got Claudia Wells, who is the same height as Michael J. Fox. Number five, Doc's truck. This is a quick throwaway, um, but on the side of Doc's big white truck in the parking lot, says, Dr. E. Brown Enterprises, and below says 24-hour scientific services. So, you're just wondering, what kind of 24-hour scientific services are needed, and was this created as a way to trick people out of plutonium, which would end up working um, Doc with the Libyans? Also, there's a bumper sticker on this truck that reads, one nuclear bomb can ruin your day. So, I'm not sure what That was on there and then sort of prophetic as um, his project this sucker is nuclear gets him killed okay number four the clock tower ledge this will be the last obvious reference but it's one of the best the clock tower in the old 1985 isn't working and the whole building is obviously run down in 1955 it's working and in pristine condition When Doc has to reattach the cord in 1955, he breaks off a piece of the ledge almost falling to his death. When Marty returns to the new 1985, we can see the broken ledge there now. Okay, number three, Statler Toyota. The Statler family has a long-running tradition of providing transportation for the citizens of Hill Valley. Statler Toyota is the dealership that features the sweet 4x4 that Marty covets and eventually gets. And Statler Studebaker is the dealership featured in 1955. We also make them see, uh, see them make an appearance in Back to the Future 3 as Honest Joe Statler's Fine Horses and in 2015 a Statler Pontiac. Okay, number two, why is George eating peanut brittle? When I was a kid, I always thought the scene was set at breakfast, um, when they're watching the honeymooners around the table. I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe it just, uh, it looks like George is eating cereal, and I don't know, Um, but it turns out it's a box of peanut brittle. This is a carryover from a deleted scene where George is coerced into buying a large amount of peanut brittle, by his, uh, uh, for his neighbor's daughter, from his neighbor's daughter. The neighbor has pretty much bullied George into making him buy that big amount of it. Okay. And the last thing that you probably didn't catch, and this is the deepest one here, and I covered it in the movie review I did the bizarre inclusion of the Back in Time song. So when Doc phones Marty earlier in the movie, he has the radio on and it's playing Heaven is One Step Away by Eric Clapton. When he is returned from the past to the noon improved 1985, he wakes up to Back in Time by Huey Lewis in the news. And Huey Lewis obviously plays a prominent role in Back to the Future with the inclusion of the power of love and his role as the teacher who tells Marty that his band is too darn loud. But the inclusion of Back in Time is a bit of a meta inception-ness to it. So let me explain. If you've ever listened to that song... You know it has pretty specific lyrics. I had the whole soundtrack, so I knew everything. The song is pretty much describing the events that have just taken place over the course of the movie. The opening lyrics state, "Tell me, Doctor, where are we going this time? Is it the '50s or 1999?" So there's an obvious reference to Doc himself and the fact they went back to the '50s. The next line mentions that all I want to do, all I wanted to do, is play my guitar and sing, just as Marty dreams to do. The song continues to make references to the events of the movie. Don't bet your future on one roll of the dice. Better remember, lightning never strikes twice. Please don't drive at 88. Don't want to be late again. So, the song Marty is listening to is rehashing what he just went through. But if that's not enough, the song mentions him by name. Finishes off with Gotta get back in time, gotta get back in time, get back, get back get back marty so if marty is listening to the lyrics of this song what the hell would he be thinking the song clearly exists in their universe and i'm not sure if we are to understand as being huey lewis huey lewis exists in our world but either way is the writer of the song familiar with the events that just happened but that would be impossible as marty just got back to the future the song makes sense in our world as we've seen the movie and it's connected tie-in but it exists in their fictional 1985 so who knows what's happening i understand that a little off the rails but i always found it compelling how it's a self-referential song that would have startled the fictional okay i'll wrap it up there hopefully you like this look back on back to the future again if you want more of a plot synopsis i have the movie review but i thought this was just interesting to go a little beneath the surface and look at everything that makes this film tick on the 35th anniversary of the greatest movie ever made. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcast. That way you get the shows automatically sent to you. Have a good day. Go watch Back to the Future. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.